My son Cooper uh, got his job, I guess, two or three years ago now, and on his first day, he wanted really badly to do a good job. And so he works at a pool store for a friend of mine, uh, and his job was to get the, the jugs of the chlorine. So, so if someone comes in and needs chlorine for their pool, his job was to get the chlorine jugs, go out to the chlorine big, you know, fill-up station, and then fill them up and put them in their car. So uh, my, my son Coop's a very literal guy, and so uh, the first customer came in, he saw the gold jugs, and he's like, and, and he just walked up to this customer and grabbed the jugs out of his hand without saying hello, without saying <laughs> what's up, and then just started to walk, uh, you know, these jugs back to the, to the chlorine fill-up station. Uh, my buddy, uh, who was his boss, says, hey, Coop, come here, and uh, he explained to him, Coop, the mission is not the jugs. The mission is customer service. Uh, we want people to come in here and feel like they're, they're at home and, and we want to help them with whatever their needs are and point them in directions that they need to get their, you know, their, their needs met. And, and so the chlorine's part of that, but the greater mission is customer service and these people buying as much stuff in here as possible. <laughs> I might have added that part, but, uh, but Coop got it. And so he learned to smile and say, hey, can I help you? And show people around the store. He, he, he multitasks now in his job, and, and I hope he's doing a good job. I think he is. But, uh, uh, but he, he understood that day that sometimes, like you and I, we can miss the forest for the trees. You heard that saying? That's what that means. You get so focused in on one component of the greater mission that, that you miss out on the mission almost altogether. And I think that happens in, in Christian lives. Uh, people can sometimes get so focused on a portion of the Christian life that they forget that there's other things that God uh, wants them to and may want to specifically use them uh, to do w- with their life and existence. I would say this might describe a lot of the people who have gotten involved in foster care and, and in, in adopting orphans. They were just living their lives, maybe focused on other things, and then all of a sudden it became very evident, very clear that God was moving in their heart and this was what he was calling them to do and it completely changed uh, everything about them and how they live. I, I think more people in our body and in other churches around the country uh, need to have this kind of readiness. And we need to be careful not to be forest Christians, or excuse me, tree Christians, and be more forest Christians. Are you with me? And so we're going to talk about uh, something today that we don't visit every week. And, and it may not be something like uh, Ricky was saying. Everybody in here is probably not going to adopt or foster. I think it would be great if we did. Just so you know, I think that'd be awesome. But that may not be everybody's call in their lives. But here's what I'm going to tell you. In the sermon this morning, we're going to look at some, uh, some Jews from a, a period of history in, in Israel's existence that, that had lost the forest for the, or for the trees. They, they, they'd basically forgotten who God was. This was a common occurrence in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Read it. Uh, they were constantly forgetting. Uh, but I hope that their experience... Uh, meshes with ours, and we would be reminded, and, and some of us would even be shaken and stirred to the point to where we become partners with these people who are standing by tables outside. We become partners in this initiative of our church to, to make it hard to be uh, an orphan in our community, uh, that we would see what God has for us and then follow him and his character. So, so the question I want to answer today is, is, why are we doing things like orphan awareness and feed the bay and all the other things that we do in the community? Community? How's it going? The answer to that question is, that, is this statement. God is in the business of helping those unable to help themselves. Everybody read that with me. Ready? God is in the business of helping those unable to help themselves. This is the story of theology and history with God. 
He has come to the rescue of humanity again and again in so many ways. Everybody in here, if you want proof of this, where should you look first? I submit to you, it's the mirror. Because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you were someone who could not spiritually help yourself. That is the gospel. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were separated from God. We had no hope to bridge the gap. But God in his infinite love for us, by his grace, sent his son. He loved us so much that he gave his his only son, and whoever believes in him would have eternal life. That's the gospel. And it's, it's a story of God doing where we never could. And everybody in this, in, in this room uh, who has experienced faith in Christ, uh, you are someone who could not help themselves. If you haven't yet experienced faith in Christ, guess what? You're someone who can't help yourself. You need God's help to be restored and reconciled to him. But that gospel, that's, that's a lot of times... Uh, sometimes becomes the, the trees, and, and here's, here's what I mean. It's obviously the most important emphasis of the gospel message. But the gospel message doesn't, doesn't stop at, 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 the, uh, at, at the receiving of Christ or the believing by faith that he can save us from our sins. It says right after in Ephesians, it talks about uh, by grace we are saved through faith. It says that we are his workmanships cre- created for good works in Christ Jesus that he appointed from from a long time ago. There's lots of things that God wants us to accomplish in his name as we live this Christ life with him. And sometimes, as churches, we get so focused on decisions and baptisms, which are all great, don't get me wrong, that we can lose sight of our community and the needs of those who can't help themselves. Jesus, actually, when he he explained his mission on earth, he went to Luke chapter four, you can go there if you want, Uh, but in Luke chapter four, he grabs a scroll there in his synagogue in, in, in Nazareth, his hometown, and he stands up and he reads Isaiah, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. All, all in, we're in. The good news is the gospel. We know that he's come to give good news so you and I can have life through him. But look at how he phrases it. Good news to the who? To the poor, to those who can't help themselves. He, he has sent me to the, proclaim liberty to the captives. To the who? To the captives, those who can't help themselves to give sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He says, I've come to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor, but the the favor of God is going to rest on those who can't help themselves. Now, obviously, that's all of us spiritually, but there's a huge, huge portion of of the world that we live in that God loves. He loves everybody, by the way. Everybody knows that? Even the ones that you don't? All right? I heard, I'm going to mess up this quote, but I heard a quote the other day uh, that you know you're making God over in your image when he starts hating the same people you do. Everybody hear that? If you think God hates people, that's you. That's not him. He loves people. He loves the people that are hard to love. And he's for them, not against them. James picks up the same theme as as he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad in chapter one and verse 27 of his book. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this. And most of us would skip right down to this bottom line. Keep oneself unstained from the world. There it is, boom, religion. True religion is honoring God and being as sinless as possible and doing all the things that he wants us to do. That's religion, it's behaviorism. It's everybody be good, and it is. Don't get me wrong. 
Everybody should be good to the glory of God so that we honor him and replicate his character in us. But look what he says before. Before he gets to behavior, he talks about people. He says, true religion that's pure and undefiled is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to take care of a world that needs taken care of, a world that can't take care of itself. Here's what I'm saying. The gospel, preeminent, prominent, should be first. But don't miss the rest of the gospel, which is to love people and take care of others. I'm so grateful to be a part of church that's getting this. We're figuring it out. Uh, we're, we're growing in this. Anytime that I've been before you as a, as a pastor and I said, hey, this is what we need. So-and-so, you know, their house burnt down or something like that. I don't know if I've ever said that to you, but, but something of that ilk, I say, hey, we, we gotta come in and usher for these who can't help themselves. And, and you guys respond. We need Easter baskets for migrant kids. We got, we got four times as many as we need. We're eating Easter bunnies back, you know, not really. We didn't really eat them. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> but you know, anytime I've, I've come to you guys and said, hey, here's a need, here's a need. We as a church, we have a heart for what the gospel uh, entails here. It's great. But here's something i got to caution us on. And it kind of goes into what we're talking about in orphan awareness. Sometimes we have an enough button. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We kind of do as much as we do and we live as, as long, you know, as, as, as we live. And, and, and then we start crossing off the boxes. Good. I've been available to the community. I, I brought a bag of groceries to feed the bay this year. Uh, you know, I gave, you know, in this way, or I, oh, hey, there was that one guy who was waving a sign, and I, I, I gave him my water bottle, you know, and we're like, check, done. I don't know, maybe, maybe the merit badge for my Christian sash is in the mail, but I've, I've done it. You know, I've, I've, I've accomplished loving my community. And, and here's what happens. I'm not saying that those things are bad. They're great. But we can kind of have a threshold or a box that we say, good, done. And what God wants us to constantly do, and it's true, God wants us to constantly push past where we are in our lives with him into those next phases, into those next levels of surrender and dependence. And this morning might be a morning that some of you are gonna experience that. Because as you hear me talk about orphans, God's gonna just work in your heart and be like, that's you. It may not be the dude next to you, but that's you. And it's your time. And we gotta go beyond this box, this like, you know, acceptable amount and push into something deeper, trust and obey. Indeed, God is in the business, God is in the business of, of helping those unable to help themselves. The big question this morning for us is are we? Is that us? That's our God. And as we seek to be, uh, you know, like him and, and, and be, a, that's what a Christian is, he's, he's a, we're Christ carriers. We're meant to bring Christ to the world around us. Well, Jesus was about those who couldn't help themselves, or we? That's the question. Let me, let me answer this question as we get going in the book of Zechariah. What, what keeps us from helping those unable to help themselves? I think at our hearts, most of us would say, yeah, I, I, I would love to be available, however I can, to help, help people who can't help themselves. But, but sometimes we don't. What keeps us from doing that? What keeps us from uh, helping those who can't help themselves? Let's read Zechariah chapter 1. And before we get to this verse, let me just kind of give you a brief summary of what's going on in the book of Zechariah. Is everybody ready? So Zechariah is this prophet who comes into Israel around 518 B.C., probably before that, but he really comes on the scene around 518 B.C. Zechariah is one of the most succinctly dated books. Like you're going to see here in the first line, in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month. I mean, we're talking calendar here, right? I mean, they are just... They are pinpointing. So Zechariah is one of the easiestly, easiestly, 
That's not a word. It's one of the, it's one of the most, uh, uh, well, it's easy to date it. You know what I'm trying to say. Now, don't give me the words. I'm preaching, okay? Just email me. I know I mess up, but just let me keep going. All right, anyway. Uh, <clears throat> Zechariah is, is uh, he's a prophet in a time of history where Israel has been in captivity. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians came into Judah, Jerusalem, that southern part of Israel, and they, and they just wiped it out. And if you were here when we were preaching about Daniel, that was the story of Daniel. Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were some of the young men of Israel who were taken back by Nebuchadnezzar, and the whole story of Daniel unfolds in Babylon. Uh, but uh, uh, for 70 years, the children, this was predicted in Jeremiah, for 70 years, the children of Israel were kept captive and out of their promised land. And then, uh, as, as, as regimes changed, the Babylonians gave way to the Persians, the Persian kings start figuring out, hey, first Cyrus and then Darius, we gotta start sending some of these guys back. It's, it's just good business for have, to have people who are in our captivity living in their lands and doing their culture. So they started letting some of the Israelites go back to Israel. The first wave was with Nehemiah, remember him? He went back and he built the walls. Second wave was uh, the temple, Zerubbabel. Everybody say Zerubbabel. There's a great middle name for someone's next baby right there. But uh, uh, Zerubbabel and this guy Zechariah and a contingency of other Jews came back and they, they started rebuilding the temple around 518 BC. And that's where Zechariah finds himself. Are, you, are we all up to speed? So here's the story. It says, in the fourth year of King Darius, he's the king of the, of the Persians at this time, uh, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Kislev, not Chislev, Kislev. <laughs> and that's around November or December, like you know, late November, early December. So if you were born in late November, early December, say, you know, next time it's your birthday, I was born on the second of Kislev. It'll be fun. All right, here we go. Now the people of Bethel. Bethel's about 12 miles north of Jerusalem. If Jerusalem's down here in the southern part of Israel, uh, Judah, uh, Bethel is it talked about a ton in Scripture. We don't have time to go through all that, but Bethel is this, uh, this, this city, uh, and, and there's a contingency of people that come from 12 miles north of Jerusalem, led by uh, apparently a guy named Sherazer. That's that's that name's cool, and Regamelech, and and some men, and they came to entreat the favor of the Lord. It's one of the only times this phrase is used in the prophets, but they came to talk to the priests and the other prophets of the time. Uh, because they, they wanted God to allow them to do something. So let's find out what that is. Verse three, they said to the priests of the house of the Lord and the hosts and the prophets, hey, should we, they say I, but should we keep weeping and abstain in the fifth month as we have done for so many years? Now, you gotta, what is he talking about there? Well, weeping, oh, we get that. What's abstain mean? Fasting. Uh, as part of uh, you know, most religions that I know of, uh, sometimes you can abstain from food, fast, pray uh, for a period uh, as, as you seek to understand God in some area or, or follow him in, in, in a deeper way. But, uh, but in the Jewish faith, there was feasts and there were fasts. And the feasts were like Passover and, and other things like that. Uh, and then fasts, especially in the time of their captivity, they, be, they became more prominent. Because when things, when you're, when, when things are going bad, People get really serious about God. Has anybody noticed about that? Okay. So the, the children of Israel adopt these fasts that weren't a, norm, a normal part of their calendar or their, their system, but because they were in captivity, they started doing fast and praying to God for their release and the restoration of their country. This fifth month fast is a fast over the destruction of the temple. Fitting, since Zechariah is kind of the prophet at the time of the 
reconstruction of the temple. And so it doesn't, it, it's now surprise then, I mean, let's not bag on Regamelech and Shiraz are too bad, it's no surprise then that because the temple's being rebuilt, they've come to town and said, hey, do we still gotta, you know, not eat for 30 days so that the temple can be rebuilt? That's the whole reason we, I mean, mission accomplished, right? The temple's being rebuilt, can we stop fasting for its sake? It seems innocent enough, but it, but it leans in the direction of something that keeps us from uh, being available to those who can't help themselves. And that's this concept right here. God's people are too often, see if this isn't true about you and me, They're, we're too often focused on doing the very least for him. Right? Like, hey, hey God, I know you want me to pray and you, you, you want me to give. That comes up in giving a lot. Uh, you want me to serve. There's all these things that you, you know, would hope for me in my life so that I can understand your character and, and be like you in my nature. But what, listen, what's the very least? Like, has anybody ever, you know, just done that in, in, in your involvement in, in anything in life? Like, like your kids in Little League, all right. I don't wanna be like on the board or anything, but I know you probably need me to help somewhere. In fact, it's usually like a requirement for this kid to be on a team. So, uh, when do I gotta do snack bar? And I'll tell you, this is the new thing now. Has anybody done this? You can actually pay not to serve. <laughs> Literally got on board with the church and their methods, right? Because some people, that's your mentality. I give, I don't have to serve, or I serve, I don't have to give. Right, because as long as I cross some box or do the, and here's the point, as long as I do the very least, I'm good. I'm good. Christians around the world, uh, some of them sitting in our seats right now, not to be all condemning or anything, but that's your mentality when it comes to Christ. He's a part of my life, he's not my life. He's a part of my life, and in this part of my life, I'm gonna do the very least that I have to do to feel okay about my Christianity. Uh, let, me, let me just kind of pull back the curtain on this one for you. The Christ life is an all-in life. Now, by his grace, and, and because of his love for us, we don't have to be up here praying and, and, and quit our jobs and, and be monks and go live in the hills if there is one in Florida, right? I mean, those are not requirements of us. He lets us live and move and have our being. He's awesome. He's a gracious God. And as we get focused in on life here on this earth, we can sometimes think that that's really life. But life for a Christian is not this earth. Life for followers of Christ is God and his esteem and his worship and us being surrendered to him. That's why we make a big fuss about it around here. We exist to surrender to God because it's an all-in endeavor. I don't know. I'm, I'm just guessing you're like me in some ways. A lot of times I can go shortcut. I could try to, listen, <laughs> I could try to, in whatever ways I can, to make it look like I'm doing something I'm really not. Just so that I don't have to involve myself and I can go do the things I want to do. Are you with me? I'm like the guy leaning on the shovel next to the hole where the rest of the crew is working. Management, I'm, you know, I'm managing. Lots of Christians get into management. God's people are often too focused on doing the very least for him, but God's people are often focused doing for themselves. Let's talk about this in the next verses. Look what it says. Then the word of the Lord of hosts comes to Zechariah. Okay, so the question is, do we have to keep fasting? Zechariah says, let me talk to God. I'll come back with an answer. 
I don't know what Zechariah thought when he would go to God. It was like, hey, God, the temple is being built. Maybe we could call off the fast. What do you say? But this is what God gave him. God says to Zechariah, say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month, oh, that's the temple fast, right? And then in the seventh month, these guys were fasting like month, take a month off, month. I mean, these are some devout Jews. I mean, they're rocking it, right? And, and, and the, if you're wondering what the seventh month fast was about, this guy named Gedaliah, everybody say Gedaliah. Gedaliah was the governor of Judah when Nebuchadnezzar came into town and knocked it out. And so as, as, a, as a, mem- a remembrance of this apparently good leader, they, they fasted for a month uh, in, in memory of him. So, so Zechariah hears from God, and God says, hey, man, when you guys were fasting in the fifth month and the seventh month over these past, get this, 70 years, like some of you would be born and be gone and never know not to fast in the fifth and seventh months. But here's this question. Is everybody reading it? You're reading ahead? You always do because you're humans. Was it for me that you fasted? Mm, uncomfortable, awkward, right? Look what it says next. And, and when you eat and when you drink, now some people are just thinking like lunch, dinner, breakfast, what? No, he's talking about the feasts. When you feast, as appointed uh, by me in, in, in the law, when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Here's his point. You do all this religious looking stuff, but I'm not even a part of it. In fact, the reason that you do your life with me is not for what you can do for me, says the Lord. It's for what you can get from me. Oh, Christians, this is a, a tightrope here. Because it's, it's very subtle, this whole using God for what you can get. The prosperity gospels made an entire like, theology out of it. We'll give to God so that he gives to us. Everybody knows that about, the, if you don't know what the prosperity gospel is, it basically says, you, you sow, you give, and God will give you back tenfold. Now, the Bible speaks to things like that, but it's not a promise, and it's certainly not something that you should build your life around. I'm going to serve God so that I get. That's not the gospel. That's not, that's not true worship. That's a business transaction. We don't honor God for what we can get. We honor God for what we have gotten. He has given us his grace. He's given us Christ. It's out of gratitude that we honor God. And if you give us anything else on top of that, bonus! But that's not the point. I'm guilty. I'm I'm guessing maybe you are sometimes too of using God. It's like the kid Alan that was in my second grade class. Second grade class, Alan comes in. He was from the other side of the tracks. His dad had a little more uh, bank than my dad. My dad was a pastor in eastern Canada. We were not raking uh, and bringing it home. You know what I'm saying? So uh, back in those days, no uh, web, so you had to actually look at catalogs for Christmas. And I remember just circling the Evil Knievel stunt bike uh, doll set. You could crank it up, you know. With, remember those things? Anybody old enough to remember? Yeah, some of you got to be. Some of, some of you are not old enough, and you think, wasn't there a video game for it? No, there wasn't, okay? We had Pong, and that was it. And I couldn't afford that either. So, so this evil, you know, I, I thought maybe it was in the realm of hope that, you know, we didn't believe in the guy with the red suit. So maybe my parents would, uh, you know, bring Evil Knievel home. Well, Christmas came and went, and no Evil Knievel. Everybody say, mm. But I went, to, I went to school the next morning, or the next month, 
And it came out in some conversation that Alan, this kid who I'd always ignored in my class, had gotten evil Knievel. <laughs> Anybody want to guess who became Alan's best buddy? <laughs> this guy. I mean, I just worked him. It was a con, start to finish. You know, hung out him in at lunch and, and praised him for how many pull-ups he could do on the monkey bars. That's amazing, Alan, too. That's amazing. Well, finally, Alan's like, hey, man, you should come over to my house and play. I was like, in, in my, inside, I was like, I thought you'd never ask. But in, oh, I was like, oh, it's great. And I went over to his house, and I said, hey, man, I remember back a few weeks ago, you were telling me you got evil Knievel. Can I see it? He's like, sure, it's right over there. And then I didn't even, he didn't, he, he didn't get to finish because, you know, seven-year-old Mark went over to evil Knievel, and I wore it out. I mean, he just played for hours. It's finally time to go home, and I hadn't even spoken to Alan. He's like, hey, I think you need to go. I was like, cool, man. Want to do it again tomorrow? And that's kind of how it went until one morning Alan came in, and he said, oh, man, bad news. What? I was playing with Evil Knievel last night. It's just made out of the cheapest plastic on earth. The crank broke, and Evil Knievel doesn't work anymore. Guess who forgot Alan? Alan was dead to me. Why? Well, because he didn't have evil Knievel anymore. I didn't like Alan. I liked evil Knievel and what Alan could give me. And some of you are like, oh, that was me too. I did it. I totally did that. It was a Barbie. <laughs> but don't miss the point. And let, and let me just confront this. I'm not a big conf confronter up here, but if, if you're playing with God... And you're just making him this, like, you know, cosmic tooth fairy that you put something under your pillow at night and he's supposed to bring it back to you. That's, that's not what this is. Life with Christ is a life surrendered to him, regardless of what you get. It's not about receiving. It's about giving because he's given so much to us already. Yeah, Zechariah takes these Jews to task. It's like you're using God. You're using God. And then he, then he reinstates the mission. Here it is. It's the mission throughout Scripture. God's reconciliation of humans to himself. God's rescuing of humans who can't help themselves. God's mission has never changed. Look what it says. He's going to give a history lesson here. Follow me. Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets, so we're going back in time in Israel's histories, uh, when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowlands inhabited. So Zechariah's there talking to a bunch of people who are basically standing in the rubble of what used to be a great city. There's walls now, and maybe there's a little, you know, something come back, like a hurricane went through, a tornado went through, and it's starting to recover. But everybody's, everybody's like, uh, being, you know, harkened back to a day when Jerusalem and, and Israel was at its zenith. Things were going great. I mean, the crops were growing, the cows were fat, people had another house on the Jordan, and they would vacation there in the summers. I mean, it was great. And he says, don't you guys remember in those days when everything was awesome? Former prophets, these prophets of old, probably he's speaking to Jeremiah here. Jeremiah came right in that period of history uh, that preceded uh, the Babylonians coming and knocking out uh, uh, Judah. And things were going great. And what was, what, does it, what was Israel's MO when things were going great? God who? Worship who? Yahweh. Who's he? Because everything's going great. We don't need him. But Jeremiah and other prophets, here's what they said. 
<laughs> Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, here we go, or the fatherless, the orphans, the ones who can't help themselves, or the sojourner, that's the immigrants, who come into a country and don't have a people base or, 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 or someone that they can count on, or finally the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your hearts. Let's go through those three, there's four things basically there. Go back to verse nine for me. He says, render true judgments. Here's what God's saying, he's saying, listen, throughout time, this is what I want you to do. Rendering true judgments, twofold. I want you to live your life according to my laws. My law, my truth is the truth. Live life according to the way that I've designed it. When you make decisions, when you make judgments, do it my way, it's the right way. But here's the second part of that. In the Hebrew words there, it basically is saying, listen, don't show favoritism. When you render a true judgment, it should be the same judgment that you would give to this person or this person, no matter where they are in their standings, culturally, socially, economically, we love all people. That's how God is, that's how we are. He goes on and he says, show kindness and mercy to one another. Without distinction, without favoritism, love people. If people need help, God is the helper. If people need help, God's people should be the helpers. And then he qualifies it in a negative sense. Look what he says. This means do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, and the poor. Now some of you are like, well, I don't do that. It's not like I'm walking up to homeless guys and putting them in a headlock or something like that. I'm not like oppressing people. Here's what you gotta understand. When it comes to God and obedience to him, there's three positions you could take. You can take no, indifference, or servitude, follow. And some people think indifference is, you know, Switzerland, it's just kinda, it doesn't count. God sees indifference as a no. Everybody hear that? If you're just like, hey, I'm inactive, I'm indifferent, I'm ambivalent, no, that's a no. Because God's uh, commands are clear. Be engaged in a culture that, that needs help. Be available however it needs help. He says, don't oppress, that's what he's saying, don't oppress. Don't be uh, indifferent to the widow or the fatherless or the sojourner poor and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. No one's ever done that, right? And some of you are thinking, well, yeah, I, you know, one time I wish that, you know, this, this guy would, you know, really fail. No, it's not even really talking about that. Let me, let me, let me say it to you the way I wrote it so that I can say it the way I meant. Uh, when we live for God, uh, we need to live like God, and we need to, oh, someone erased my notes? Here we go. Oh, no, I didn't. Here we go. We, we shouldn't eat, <laughs> how's it, somebody want to see? It's right there. We shouldn't think of evil ways to either get, look, get this. We shouldn't think of ways to get more from someone. That's Alan. Uh, to get uh, more than someone. That's the Joneses. And then we absolutely should not uh, think of evil ways to get out of doing for someone. Did you get those? I shouldn't be using you for what I can get from you. I shouldn't be trying to step uh, up the ladder on you so that I can get ahead of you. And I shouldn't be looking for ways that I can get out of serving you. That's what those evil ways that we devise entail. This, this one's really close to home because if you're like me, sometimes people ask you to do things that's not on your agenda. Like a spouse asks you to 
maybe help with this or do that. And you start immediately scrolling through the excuses that you can make as to why you can't do that. You even make some stuff up. Oh, I can't do that, honey. I've got to go, blah, 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 which was not on your calendar that day, but it's perfectly timed so that you can't be there when she needs you. Fellas, testify. Come on. Yeah. And it's not all the time, but sometimes, you know what? You push the me button. Like, I want this day to be about me. You take care of that. And far too often in our Christ life, we press the me button. And God comes to us and he says, hey, I could use your help here. I could use your assistance here. I could use what you have to make a difference in this life. And we're like, hey, man, can't make it. Can't get involved. Come up with all the excuses. But in the end, all we're doing is putting ourselves ahead of him. You know, everybody, if you don't have a card somewhere in your office, in your car, wherever you kind of spend time, in fact, make your screensaver the number three. Seriously, you're like, what? Well, what did God say when, when, or what did Jesus say when they asked him what the greatest commandment was? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's one. Love who? Others. That's two. As you love your who? Self. That's three. Everybody remember the list? God first. Others second. Even the ones that I'm not crazy about. And then me. I'm third. The Christ life is being third. Bronze. How's it going? Christians are bronze. I'm going to write that book. There it is. <laughs> Even so, God's people can be downright disobedient. <laughs> Isn't that true? I mean, back in the times, he's doing the history lesson. He says, listen, back in the times of Jeremiah or whoever was that prophesied these things, uh, people knew that they were supposed to render to judgment and show love and mercy, not oppress the widows and the fatherless. And, 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 and we should, you know, try to be available however God wants but, but people still refuse to do it. Look what, look what it says. But they, that's what it says. They refuse to pay attention, turn to stubborn shoulder, and stop the ears, or their ears, that they might not hear. The, the first there is we refuse to pay attention. I think of trying to put shoes on a four-year-old. Anybody ever tried to do this? They're not having it. They don't want their shoes on. Usually it means they have to leave and go somewhere else. If they're having a good time here, why should I put my shoes on? That's like the final, you know, that's the nail in the coffin of my good time. So there's a four-year-old, my grandson is, is, is four years old, and uh, he comes over to our house, and, and, uh, and, and hey, buddy, it's time to get your shoes on. And he, it's like I'm not even there. We've been hanging out, playing, talking, doing whatever, and I, I say shoes, and it's like, oh, me, no, no. He, he, what does this you speak of? What are shoes? And, and I have to chase him around the house to get the, the kid's shoes on. It's because we don't want to do what we don't want to do. Stubborn, turning a stubborn shoulder, that's, that's farms. Uh, this is taken right from Jewish farms where oxen would be teamed together. Uh, if, a, if an ox would turn a stubborn shoulder, it's because he didn't want to work with the other guy that day. Maybe they had a bad night in the stalls. I don't know. But, but he just wasn't interested. And they turn a stubborn shoulder. You ever, you ever try to put a, well, probably not a yoke on an ox, but you ever try to put a saddle on a horse? Or you ever try to get your dog to take a bath? You know what I'm talking about then. Because they're like, no, I'm not doing that. This last part here where it says they stopped up their ears. Everybody do this real quick. This is unfortunately the posture that Christians can get. I'll oh, keep doing it. It's okay. We're at church. You're fine. Go ahead, Scott. You can keep it up there. This is what we do to God sometimes when he tries to prompt us to obedience in life. You can take it down now. That's what we do. La, 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 la. I'm not listening. We're like some petulant teenager 
in this day and age. When my kids were in the house, this is what would happen. Things wouldn't go their way. They'd go to their rooms. They'd grab their iPods or their phones or whatever. They'd pop these things in just pretend you weren't there. They would get out. Everybody might have an iPhone in here, but I know for sure that everybody's got a me phone. And they would just plug into the me phone. And they would just run this loop over and over again of how everybody else is stupid. Especially mom and dad. Look at him. What a doofus. <laughs> and everything's about me. Everything starts, terminates, has its middle. It's all about me. And this is what we malign our teens for. But this is the exact same thing that we do to God from time to time when he wants to accomplish his will through us. We're just like, no. Things are going good. I don't need you. I don't want to follow you. It's going to cost me. To, to get involved with foster care and orphans? You know how much time that'll take, Father? Father God, I just don't have the time. Boop, boop. Wah. There's no dial on a, but you get what I'm saying. It goes on and says in verse 12 that they made their hearts as, as hard as diamonds so that they... Uh, lest they should hear the law and the words that the lords of the hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. They're just like, no, done. You're not penetrating this diamond heart. And when that happens, just so you know, let's briefly talk about this. No one likes to hear the bad news at church, but let me give you some. Eventually, God tires of disobedience. I mean, I'm not, just, I'm not listen, this is not a sermon that says if you don't adopt a child today, that God's going to crush you. This is not that sermon, Okay. If you walk out of here and you don't foster a child, you just, your part is to pray, that's great. But I do want you to know that perpetual disobedience, perpetual failure to submit and to surrender to the will of God in your life, whether it's the general will of God as described in his word or whether it's the specific will of God that he has for just you in accomplishing his purposes here on earth, he's just not gonna put up with it after a while. Read the Old Testament. Israel was constantly saying, you know what, la, 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 I'm not listening, God. And God said, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to send a nation. They're going to be like locusts, and they are going to crush you. And, and Zechariah, speaking to these people who didn't want to fast, is saying, don't you remember our history? Jeremiah told everybody, stick with the plan. They said, no. What did God do? I'll remind you. Here's what he said. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. And as I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear. First thing that happens, God denies his grace to you. So many people think that, well, why did God do this to me? God didn't do, probably, in, in most of the situations we find, he didn't do anything to you. He just removed his grace from the situation and he let you experience what you should have experienced a long time ago if his grace hadn't been in place. Your hard-headedness should bring all kinds of mess to your lives and God's grace props you up anyway. Isn't that great? But every once in a while, God says, no, let's find out what it's like when I don't answer your call. And Israel found out, because here's what happened. Verse 14, says, I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. That's the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. They were standing in this desolate land this place that had been knocked down by a marauding army. 
I mean, what, a, what an object lesson. Zechariah says, hey, remember Jeremiah told your forefathers not to mess with God and stay on the plan, and if he didn't, things would go like they have. And now we have to rebuild a perfectly good temple that Solomon and David built. Yeah, that's just what happens. Now by God's grace, even when he allows us uh, to sow our seeds and reap, he still comes back, read chapter eight. It ends happy. Zechariah says, hey man, we're gonna turn the fast to feast, we're gonna, we're gonna make this right. But he had to stop, and, and that, isn't that what God has to do with us every once in a while? He's gonna stop us down, and he's gonna say, hey, don't forget that my mission is the mission, and submission is your mission. So I'm talking about us being involved in the things that God's involved in. It's us uh, helping those who can't help themselves. What happens when we miss out on things like orphan care? First of all, people who need help miss out. There's like four or 5,000 kids in foster care right now in Hillsborough County. Some of them sitting in group homes, some of them just needing a hug. They'd love a birthday party every once in a while. And, and we as the church, us and the other churches in our area, we shouldn't be waiting for our government to fix things. We should be active and available as God leads. Maybe not everybody, but definitely somebody in here needs to be a part of helping the children who miss out. But then secondly, we miss out. Listen, don't, don't miss out on, on this part. If, if we fail to act in God's will, we are the ones who lose because we never experience the things that God would have us experience. Uh, some 40 plus years ago, uh, a young a child was growing up in, in Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio. She was three months old, failure to thrive, uh, and she was in foster care. Uh, uh, Byron and Nellie May drove across from Indianapolis. They had just adopted from the same agency a, uh, a year or so earlier. Nellie was a 40-year-old nurse. And Nellie and Byron came over to uh, see this baby. They had been told that there was a baby failure to thrive. Nellie was a nurse, and so the agency thought, hey, this would be great if you have this, the physical or the doctoral skills to take care of her, this might be a great match. And so uh, the two of them drove over, and the story goes that when Byron saw this baby in the crib and, and picked the baby up, uh, Nellie was talking with the uh, director of the organization, and you know, here's what might happen, and, and Byron just said, we'll take her. And that was it. This little girl grew up in this home, and uh, she found out who Jesus was at an early age, and lived her whole life, and uh, then she went to Moody Bible Institute, and I met her, and I made her my wife, and by God's grace, uh, she's had a very different life. And if you know my wife, Eleanor, you know that she loves helping the people who can't help themselves, and here's why. She's very in tune with what it is to be helped when you can't help yourself. And we'll be forever grateful to Byron and Nellie May for making a difference in my wife's life. And I'm going to cry about it. So, I don't know if that's you, uh, but I, I'll just tell you one more story from my life. Uh, we took all the classes for foster care, because some of you are gonna be able to sign up for those, or maybe you know, that'll be an end game in this. We took all the classes for foster care about five or six years ago, and it just didn't work out. I mean, our agency went through all kinds of turnover, and we never got placed with children, and, and then it just kind of just left, and we were like, well, maybe that's not what we were supposed to be doing. We, we tried, but it just didn't work out. And then five or six years later, I'm standing at the corner here, 
after a service, and a girl who had grown up in the neighborhood just behind us here, where we had rented for a year when we first moved here, her name was Chelsea. She walked up to me. Her dad had died uh, when she was around 10 or 11 years old, and her mom had just recently passed away as well. She's an orphan. She's 18 years old, but she's an orphan. Gone through a whole lot of crazy stuff. Maybe you've heard talk about Chelsea before, but uh, she came up. She'd been living in you know sheds and cars and other things that she could find to flop in. But she said, hey, uh, things aren't great. I said, go talk to Eleanor and kept doing my corner stuff. And then Eleanor came up to me after talking with Chelsea and said, Chelsea's coming home. I thought it was for lunch. (laughs) (coughs) But it was 11 and a half uh, months or so that Chelsea lived in our home. And we didn't didn't put pen to paper and and change her name and make her ours, but she's ours. And uh, uh, Eleanor and I and she could stand up here and tell you about all the travails of having someone new in your house and having someone new in your life and, and trying to figure things out. There's victories and then there's setbacks and then there's... But I would not have traded the last three years with that young lady. She's my daughter. She's got our name inked on her hand. And uh, she, she's our girl and, and will be. And I, I don't know who we would be if we had missed out on that. So my, my prayer for you guys is that uh, wherever God leads in, if it's orphan care or if it's something else, you are available to the whole gospel not just to the salvation that you get so that you get your sins forgiven and have eternity in him, but to the life that you have with Christ and the ways that we get to exhibit his character in a world that so desperately needs us. Help people who can't help themselves. That is what Christ did, and it's what Christians do. Let's pray. Lord, for your grace, uh, we are grateful. We ask for it now as you would lead us and perhaps being involved in orphan care. There's people who are bowing right now and they are scared praying. This is a tough prayer for them because they know that you're talking to them about being involved in this very thing and this is gonna be a tipping point in their lives. Lord, I pray that they do not chicken out, make their car not start. I don't care what you gotta do, but get whoever you need to be serving you in the things that you need them serving in, serving you today. Make it happen, Lord, by your grace and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.